News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. This is Alex Brooklyn, producer. As always, this show is hosted by Harry Siegel and Professor Christina Greer. Today we are talking about NYCHA, New York York City City Housing Housing Authority. Authority, and all the things that they've been screwing up. Here to talk about it with us is Greg B. Smith from the Daily News. He's the guy that has been breaking stories about NYCHA fuck-ups since 2012. Also with us is Richie Torres, city councilman. Chairman of the Council Investigations Committee, Richie Torres. Richie Torres. D. Bronx. Then our own Gwen Hogan talks to Daniel Barber, a tenant leader for NYCHA residents. She spoke with him up in the Bronx where he lives in the Jackson Houses. F-A-Q. All right, so Greg Smith broke the news about NYCHA and lead paint a few times. NYCHA has a long and sordid history. It springs from the famed Brains Trust of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Greg, how did we get from the New Deal to now? Well, originally in the 30s depths of the Depression, the mayor of the city of New York, uh, Fiorello LaGuardia, uh, decided that it would be a good idea to essentially create affordable housing for people who co- who were basically destitute and were unable to find a place that they could afford to live. And so he, uh, with his buddy, FDR, decided that the federal government would pay for this because the city would was in no position to pay for it. And so they created the first public housing in America, which is called First Houses. It's down in uh, Chinatown slash Lower East Side. Another New Deal project was the first low-income municipal housing on New York's Lower East Side, notorious for its crime and disease-breeding slums. Mrs. Roosevelt officially opened the new homes with Governor Lehman and Mayor LaGuardia looking on. And it's the first time that the government built housing for people. And it's always been a percentage of income. In other words, people pay rent. This is not free. So you have to pay, and at this point it's 30%. I'm, I'm, I don't really know if it's gone up and down, but it's always been a percentage of income. The one thing essential to clear slums and to provide low-income families with decent homes and space for play and community life is the annual subsidy from the federal government to the local housing authority. It created basically a safe space for working uh, people who have moderate uh, incomes to be able to live in a decent place. Essentially, they were kind of not not high-rise so much as they call them towers in the park, which is they would build these towers but not put them right on top of each other the way that tenements were. They knocked down tenements, by the way, to put these things up. For many, many, many decades... This was the place you wanted to live if you were a working person in New York City. And you tried to get in. It was hard to get in. There was racial segregation when it started out. It was extremely overt. They built more and more of these things. There was a huge wave of building in the 50s and then in the 60s. And then it slows down big time. And then in the 80s, it just stops. Here is Ronald Reagan. Good evening. And that's where we have President Reagan showing up. And the, ph- the philosophy is that we're not doing this anymore. Real welfare, welfare reform. reform. Good evening. And so you see the funding from the federal government begin to decline in the 80s, and it continued to decline. The problem with that is you have all these buildings in New York City. There's 177,000 apartments in these buildings that are getting old, and they keep getting old. They don't get younger. The problems accumulate, and then the, the ma- they fall behind in the maintenance. And basically, when you fall behind in maintenance, this is true for anyone who owns a house. Uh, if you don't fix it, 
right away, then it becomes more expensive to fix. And that is what's happened. As the federal funding diminishes, the state eventually pulls out. The state had been putting some money in, not a lot. Governor Pataki decides in 1999, we're not doing this anymore. So he pulls out. Bloomberg, he doesn't pay any attention to uh, public housing during the 12 years that he's the mayor of the city of New York. So you have accumulating neglect. The roofs begin to leak. And when the roofs leak, the water goes down the walls. And then inside the walls, mold grows. Then the kids with asthma who live inside the apartment next to the wall with the water and the mold, their asthma is exacerbated. There's lead paint all over these buildings. Why? Because these are old buildings. Most of the apartments had lead paint. It's kind of a a costly thing to fix. As they fall behind in keeping up with it, the number of repair requests goes through the roof. At one point, when I started to write about this in 2012, there were, they were telling me there were 250,000 requests that they hadn't gotten to yet for repairs. But it was apparently, it was really more like 400,000. For the last five years, man, that's a long time. I've been writing these stories about these conditions. I think the best way to do this is to focus on lead because lead is the thing that has really kind of set off the alarm bells all over the place. So in April of 2015, I wrote a story about a little girl, two years old, who registered a level of 12, which is way more than is acceptable. Uh, And she lived in a Brooklyn development. And um, I wrote about how the Department of Health came in and tested and found lead in the apartment. And then the housing authority said, no, there's no lead there. They did their own test. And uh, the housing authority at the time attacked the story and said, there's nothing to see here. We're in compliance with everything. But at some point, the U.S. attorney for Manhattan, who was at the time pre Barara, decided that maybe there's something to look at here. And so in 2016, uh, I got a call from them, and I went and met with them, and they basically said, what's going on in there? Why, why are you writing all these stories about what terrible conditions there are when the documents that we're looking at seem to indicate otherwise? And I said, I don't really know. I mean, I don't really know what they're representing, but I do know that the conditions that I see are real and that I'm not dreaming this stuff. And again, we're talking about people who are working for a living for the most part and, or senior citizens, lots of kids, living in conditions that nobody who lives in Uh, Scarsdale would ever put up with. During that time, by now, that more and more people within the housing authority at the top levels were beginning to realize that they were not in compliance on lead. The, The issue that I have a lot of problems with is in March of 2016, the mayor had a press conference when it came out all about the U.S. attorney and said, well, we're totally on top of this. I mean, we have a vigorous lead paint program. About a month later, he was told by the New York City Housing Authority, that they were not in compliance. He did not turn around and then have another press conference and say, by the way, I need to correct the record. He just kept that whole thing under wraps, off the radar. And so as the years pass, the chairwoman of the Housing Authority, Shola Olatoye, appointed by de Blasio, she certifies in writing to to HUD, the uh, Housing and Urban Development Department, we are in compliance. She knew that they were not in compliance. So that's the false certification issue. About a year later, the Department of Investigation finally comes out with a report saying that. And at that point, they're still in denial mode. That's when the mayor has a press conference after the DOI report talks about the false certification of lead. And he says, thank God no children have been harmed. It's important to recognize as troubling as this story is, 
that when you dig into the facts, thank God there is less here than appears. Thank God uh, there has not been harm done uh, to any child because of the mistakes that were made. Uh, That was complete nonsense. I don't know whether he knew it was complete nonsense or he was simply given bad information, but whatever, it was nonsense. Nonsense. Can any of these people be held criminally liable for yeah. some of these behaviors? Sure they can. See, Do you think they will be? I don't think she, so she resigned, over to, or what happened she, there? She, well, I mean, that's a good question. Um, they will tell you that she just was, you know, it's time to go and I'm, I'm going to leave. But she did it right at the time when this lead paint thing was just exploding. There are very specific people in the housing authority at the top who were well aware of the fact that they were putting out false certifications. That is the issue. It's all about, you can't just, you can't charge people with being jerks, but you can charge them criminally with deliberately filing a false document in which you claim that you are doing what you are required by law to do, when in fact you know you are not. Ultimately, the U.S. attorney sat down with Mayor de Blasio and the Housing Authority, and they worked on what they call a consent decree. The consent decree was supposed to bring in a federal monitor who is now going to look at all these conditions and try to get on top of this. Since then, the monitor and the consent decree still have to be approved by a federal judge. Very recently, the federal judge said, I don't like this. He's giving them until December 14th to come up with another plan. And he didn't like it because it wasn't enough. Correct. He seems to think, and you have to read these things in the language, the way that they kind of equivocate, but he basically seems to think that it doesn't have any teeth. Richie. Richie. Richie Torres. Torres. D-Box. D-Box. Can you talk about uh, just your experience growing up in the Bronx and how that's uh, informed your public work since? Look, I think I grew up with the, really the serenity of knowing that I had a home, a permanent home, is that even when my stepfather abandoned my family and he was a primary breadwinner, my rent was was adjusted to, to meet the income of my family. So I never had to worry about facing homelessness. Uh, and we have to ensure that that safety net is available to future generations of vulnerable New Yorkers. And what were the conditions like just when you were living there? Were the buildings well taken care of then? Uh, I mean, the buildings are more poorly maintained now than they were then, but even then we had to grapple with mold and mildew and leaks, and I was in and out of the hospital as an asthmatic. So the conditions were challenging then, but I was simply grateful to have a home. So you grew up in a very nice place across from a Trump golf course, is that right? The Roxneck Houses. Did you go golfing? Never went golfing, but I do know that when uh, the Trump golf course was undergoing construction, it unleashed a skunk infestation on Throgsnack houses. So I often tell people that I've been smelling the stench of Donald Trump well before he became president. So he is president now, and we have this this ongoing set of questions with NYCHA and public housing. De Blasio has a plan to bring in some private financing and needed money after five years. Um, where, Where are things at with NYCHA right now, and is there any way to make these uh, make these numbers work? Uh, you know, it's been starved of resources for a long time. I think, I think you know, NYCHA's in a state of humanitarian crisis. It's been so savagely starved of resources that it's come to accumulate about $32 billion worth of capital needs. And all the solutions that have been put forward are simply tinkering at the edges. None of them are penetrating to the core of what's ailing public housing. 
But during a recent public housing hearing, I asked NYCHA, suppose I handed you a $32 billion check. How long would it take you to correct all the capital needs in public housing? And the response is, we don't know. Because the reality is the rate at which these buildings are crumbling far outpaces NYCHA's ability to make repairs. And so I've come to believe that the management crisis in NYCHA is so dysfunctional that judicial receivership could be the best option. Judicial receivership. The receiver can hire and fire, can renegotiate labor agreements, and they can do pretty radical Radical. things. So if you were this receiver for just a second and you could circumvent the the politics and the present contracts, what, what are the first things you would do? What are the most immediate and necessary changes? You certainly need workers who are available over the weekend. Right now you have just an emergency department, a roving crew that responds to complaints throughout the city. I would have uh, employees located right in the local development working on weekends. That's how professionally managed development should run. So I want to pull in Greg because... Sure. Thanks for coming, Greg. You know, it seems as though NYCHA is just bleeding out and we're, we're putting Band-Aids when we should have full-on tourniquets or I don't know what the solution is. So can you just kind of walk us through how do we get from this ideal from FDR to this situation that seems almost untenable and insurmountable? Number one issue for me has always been oversight mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, HUD writes these checks to the New York City Housing Authority, which is by far the largest in the nation. And I mean, 10 times bigger than any other one, millions of dollars every year. And I'll, everybody talks about how the funding has gone down, although this particular round, that actually went up. But at any rate, they write all these checks to the Housing Authority, and they do almost nothing to, to track it. And as the U.S. Attorney's report made very clear, they've been getting gamed by the Housing Authority, which had created this whole system to fool the HUD inspectors. So I guess the basic issue is that if you're going to try to fix something, you should make sure that you're spending well, Mm -hmm. and they're not. Is this a case of just throwing good money after bad constantly and no financial foresight, or flesh that out for me? I believe that is true. This is what I think they do. I think they are constantly in a state of reaction. Mm -hmm. They're not in it. They're not proactive. They they react. The best example of this recently is the heating crisis. Mm -hmm. They have known for a really long time that their boilers are just from like, you know, Herman Melville time, that they're just ridiculous. It's like that why when you know there's a winter coming up, Right. right? What happens in the winter? The temperature goes down. Why are they reacting to this in October? Which is what they just did. The mayor just had a press conference in which he announced there, there are 12 new development. I'm sorry, 12 bo- new boilers insta- installed in 12 developments. There are 320 developments, and so there are now 12 developments with new boilers. And, and so, 308 that are probably in need. And, of a and boiler. the same day he announced this, six or seven developments lost their heat. So it's the system itself. They're they're archaic. They know it. They've known it for a long time. They have a whole system of like by rating one, two, three, four, five, four and five is like, forget it. It's done. And there's hundreds of these things that they have known about for a really long time that they have not been able to get ahead of the curve on. They're constantly coming in after the fact. And that's why I really fear for this winter 
Because, I mean, if this is, I don't know if you guys remember last January. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, yeah. It was nuts. And, these, and there was, you know, as Richie, uh, Richie's uh, investigations committee pointed out, uh, you guys did a data uh, dive and figured out there were 320,000? 43,000, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. 343,000 tenants. There are, there are only 400,000 tenants in the system that had to deal with at least some form of heat outage or hot water outage last winter. Richie, if, um, if NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority, if NYCHA is lying a HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban, and urban Development, urban development. As uh, this judge has said, as Greg has reported, as we've seen in different forums, and at the same time, we have this ProPublica report that uh, HUD knew about all sorts of violations and just chose to ignore them. So you have a system in which there doesn't seem to be – maybe boxes are getting checked, but, but problems just keep getting worse and worse. Where is real oversight supposed to come from, and particularly given the Trump administration and how they're handling HUD? Well, look, you do have some oversight coming from the city council, from DOI, but there's, there's no substitute for, uh, for federal oversight because ultimately the federal government has control over public housing. But it seems to me the two best solution is one is RAD. Is RAD. RAD. Rental, Rental assistance, assistance demonstration. demonstration. Basically, RAD is a program where private developers can take over the management of a NYCHA building. They can then also take out loans, as in lines of credit, to fix whatever they need to fix in the building. And then the rest of it should be run by a judicial receiver who can bypass the procurement rules, who can bypass the politics, who can do whatever is necessary to gut the agency from within, because it's deeply dysfunctional. Do you ever fear that the repairs are going to be so intense that the government will say, we just need to tear them down, and then we'll have a whole new fight on our hands as to where we put displaced people? I'm thinking about Boston and Tent City, right? When it's just like, oh, we have these projects, they're beyond repair, and so once they built the new housing stock, all of a sudden they wanted to make sure that the former residents didn't return. Is that ever a worry? I, I think the status quo of public housing is demolition by neglect. But I think the, the main fear, you know, just like the main fear in private housing is gentrification, the main fear in public housing is either privatization or demolition. You know, New York City is one of the few major cities that continues to have a commitment to preserving public housing because the institution is too big to fail, right? It's the greatest affordable housing program that we have. Most of the affordable housing that we're creating in the private sector is unaffordable to the poorest New Yorkers, whereas the poorest New Yorkers can afford to live in public housing. Uh, It's the greatest homeless prevention program we have. But for public housing, instead of 60,000 people in our shelters, we would have hundreds of thousands of people overflowing our shelters. So I think there's a a recognition that public housing is too big to fail. Who's going to stop it from failing? For me, the best hope for preserving public housing is a program known as the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program, otherwise known as RAD, which would convert traditional Section 9 public housing into project-based Section 8 so that NYCHA, in partnership with the developer, can access new sources of financing, right? Low-income housing tax credits, bond financing, mortgage debt. So the first example of a RAD conversion in New York City was Ocean Bay in Far Rockaway, Queens. Before RAD, Ocean Bay had been starved of resources for 60 decades. It was crumbling. 
after RAD, it received an infusion of $560 million worth of renovations, right? So here's an example of the city not simply managing the decline of public housing, but fully renovating the development, right? Residents are finally living in apartments free of leaks and lead, mold and mildew, with reliable heat and hot water, with professional management. So I think that program, even though it is controversial, because it does entangle you know, private capital with affordable housing, um, it might be the best tool that we have for preserving public housing. Can, Can I, I say I, something about RAD? Sure. Just, and I'm sorry. All right. So here's the thing with RAD in New York City. We really don't know how it plays out here because all we have is Ocean Bay. And by the way, I think RAD's a good idea. I don't think you have any choice about this, by the way. I, don't, I mean, in terms of like generating uh, – you're not just generating revenue, by the way. You're also uh, basically offloading maintenance. Yeah. to a private developer. So you don't have to deal with it. Yeah. So then you can take people and put them somewhere else. And so it's, there, there's a two-part to this thing that's actually quite good. Here's the thing that I don't completely know yet because it hasn't been here long enough. What happens when there's an eviction issue? And it, it's the private developer who de- deals with it. NYCHA doesn't touch that. So what's, what happens when there is somebody who is, you know, for whatever reason says, well, the repair didn't happen fast enough. I'm withholding my rent. What does the private developer do? What is the rate of eviction? What happens? How does the private developer manage the problems that emerge at these developments? I don't know what the answer to that question is because it hasn't happened here long enough. There is RAD in other places, but nothing at this scale. I mean, these are huge developments. And, and Ocean Bay is a really big development. You, Greg, you've mentioned developments before. Roughly how many buildings or individuals are in a development? In any given, yeah, yeah, I mean, it varies. But like, give give our listeners like a well, rough like Grant idea. Houses, which just mm-hmm. went without heat on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. has like four thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's Throg's Neck? It's got to be like three thousand, something like I that. I mean, Throg's Neck is one of what over three hundred developments in New York City. Throg's Neck is larger than the whole Newark Housing Authority. Right. Where we have right, developments right, that right, are larger. Right, right. Than public housing authorities elsewhere. Queensbridge. In Queensbridge is so Queensbridge I, I, is the I largest in North America. Is, yeah, the capital, and which well, would get us to yeah, Amazon could, for a minute. Yeah, no, I don't want to go to Amazon just yet because <laughs> I will go off on Amazon. I do want to ask just a quick question about like the human element, um, largely because we, when we talk about NYCHA, it's usually framed in the context of buildings in many ways, and not people, and not people, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of families and individuals who deserve a level of dignity and respect. So how do we frame this crisis, realistically, in a way that the citizens of New York who are not in NYCHA can care and somehow put pressure on their elected officials to do something more? The first thing we need to do is to reframe the way that people perceive public housing tenants. Mm -hmm. Because there is this belief, and I run into this all the time. People are constantly, like, I'll write a story and I'll get these people emailing me or whatever, about how they're all on welfare and this and that, and they're just, you know, parasites and this and that. It's 11% of the people who live in public housing are on welfare, if you want to even call it that. Then there's a huge number of senior citizens. It's a giant population of seniors. People don't understand that. And then there's also, like 40% of the people have jobs. They go to work. They also pay rent. 
Yeah, most and go to two jobs that. or three jobs. Oh, I mean, and there, you know, and the other thing is, all right, so you go into Dunkin' Donuts and you order a cup of coffee in a Dunkin' Donuts. That the person who's serving that to you may, may live in a public housing development. If you, if people had an understanding about who actually lives in these places, I think there would be a different perception about attacking this problem. I think Greg is right. Regardless of whether you live in public housing, we all benefit from the stability that public housing provides to a half a million New Yorkers. And pub- the largest employer in public housing is the Department of Education, the NYPD, NYCHA itself, the MTA. And so NYCHA is providing stability to the very people, to the very public workforce that makes our city work every day. And we all benefit from it. So I know that the mayoral candidates in 2013 all went and visited, uh, visited with uh, NYCHA tenants and that seems like sort of an election year gimmick. But is there some way to, uh, you know, we're talking about a city of, depending on how you count, I'd say 600,000 people, you know, which is Atlanta, yeah. to get this to penetrate to the rest of New York in, in ways that, that it hasn't so far. So it doesn't seem like some other city that these problems are happening in. I don't know. Even even though you have ADD in the media, I feel like people people who never thought about public housing were appalled by the citywide collapse of heating systems that we saw last winter, by hundreds of thousands of people just deprived of heat and hot water in in what should be the wealthiest city in the world. I I felt like there was widespread outrage over what people perceived to be the incompetence of the city and the housing authority in failing to provide residents with reliable heat and hot water. You know, there could always be more, but I feel like there's public housing has penetrated the public consciousness more now than it ever has. It's penetrated the public consciousness, but what is that then? How does that then translate into action steps, right? So de Blasio, I mean, is one of the candidates in 2013. Sure, he did the sleepover with his daughter, but he hasn't necessarily been a leader on NYCHA. So what comes out of the sleepover, right? I mean, is it one of those things where we need all of the city council members, you know, to, to have the sleepover? But how do we move beyond the visuals and the gimmicks to really penetrate moving from defense to offense? Well, look, it could be the mayor has his priorities elsewhere. And some people, you know, well, un- unlike would be, yeah. I, I don't know. He's, he's, he's in some, Iowa. He, right. He's he got see, a case of senioritis. He sees himself as the national savior of a progressive movement. But but NYCHA is a daunting challenge, right? It's it's not like, you know, funding an affordable, a private affordable housing development where each transaction is essentially the same. You know, solving NYCHA is a process that can span decades and Politicians are intimidated by the magnitude of the challenge. You know, that's why I believe RAD is the best solution, because under RAD, you as a tenant can live in the same apartment. You will pay the same rent. You pay no more than 30% of your gross adjusted income. The most important difference is that RAD will deliver a transformation in your living conditions, that finally you're going to live in a building with reliable heat and hot water, with new bricks and new roofs, with new elevators and new boilers, with a community center renovation, You'll have interior in, you know, uh, renovation. So that is the solution that we should have pursued from the very beginning of the de Blasio administration, and thousands of people would have been living in much better conditions. It seems like, to me at least, that, that this outrage is, is cyclical and nearly constant. And If I wanted to be fair to this mayor, I'd say he gets more heat for some of these things because he at least pays lip service to the idea that, that he cares. And so Rikers 
And NYCHA, if I compare him and Bloomberg in some of the issues, are actually at the top of that list. That there was serious mismanagement under, under Bloomberg, and he just openly didn't, this wasn't his thing. Um, and that de Blasio has, has claimed, to, claimed to care and to be invested, and, and that this has actually raised political pressure, made it easier to report on this and have it hold. But that uh, th- these issues have been growing, as you've been saying, for, uh, for, for decades, and they get worse as the housing gets older. And it doesn't seem like this ever rises to more than a chronic concern um, as, as this deteriorates. So, so I see what you're saying with, with RAD. The question is, why does the mayor face more scrutiny over public housing than the governor faces scrutiny over the MTA? Because you have more oversight in New York City, because you have Greg Smith and an aggressive investigative tradition of journalism in New York City. You have a council that's much more aggressive at oversight than the state legislature. So, I mean, this is, this is what worries me, because without Greg's reporting, much of this would just be around us, but no one would be cognizant of it, Greg. When you write these detailed stories and the mayor and his administration come out and say, no, actually, you know, it's only about three kids who have lead poisoning. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's not that. even the boilers aren't that bad. I mean, it was just a day that they were without heat or hot That's water. Right. right. That's right. So how do you combat that? I mean, you keep writing these stories that go deeper and deeper to expose the reality. I mean, I would argue they're treacherous treacherous conditions for families. No, they, they, you don't have to argue that. That is a fact. These are facts. This is, this, there's, the law says, for example, you have, that landlords have to keep the heat at a mm-hmm. certain level. Right. They violate that every day. They're violating it right now. I guarantee it. Let me get back to this thing about I would write something and then they would say there's nothing to right. see here. We, we know who de Blasio believes, by the way. Um, he, he read all about this. He said it wasn't on anyone's political radar. And then the New York Times did a story which was largely like, like adding some numbers to things Greg had been reporting for years. And, he, and then de Blasio said, now we know this is an issue. In his second term, he said, Nietzsche is going to be as, as the lead stories piled up, so to speak. How did you get on, how did you get on this story? And walk us through what it's like to constantly drill down deeper and deeper and have the administration essentially say, oh, Greg, <laughs> you, you silly guy. Right. So, so I, I how started, did this come about? I started in 2012. And somebody called me up and told me uh, at the time there was an investigations team, whatever that means. Uh, and uh, they said um, they have this – they just hired this contractor, BCG, which is – and um, the chairman of the housing authority at the time, John Rhea – uh, who worked for the failed uh, financial services uh, entity, Lehman Brothers, and had zero, and I, let me just say that again, zero housing experience and knew nothing about HUD or any of these things. He comes in, and he first thing he does is he hires BCG, which is a consultant company that he used to work for. And he pays them $10 million to figure out what's wrong here. And I... Uh, requested under the Freedom of Information Law, the contract. And the contract specifically had a provision in it that prevented the public release of the findings of this thing. So that was the first thing I wrote about. And my newspaper was not at all interested in this. They had no they just they just were like, oh, you know, what's what what is NYCHA anyway? And then uh, subsequent to that there was a kid who was running down the hallways and he shot at a cop in a stairwell, and I think it's Seward Park, I think. I can't remember now. And we sent people, as we always do, to crime scenes, and the tenants were like, well, you know, 
it would have been great if they had actually put the cameras in that they said that they were going to put in. And uh, uh, that was news to me. So I simply asked the housing authority, well, what's the deal with these cameras? They said, well, we got this money from the city council and we're sitting on it because we need to figure out where the cameras need to go all over the place. And so I said, well, that's interesting. So what about the other developments? And ultimately they admitted that they were sitting on $45 million in security camera money. This caught the attention of my editors, and that's how it started. I, the first time I did a lead paint story was 2015, April 2015. It was a little girl in Brownsville, I believe, and she basically had a. There are these. It's it's all done by the number, the amount of lead in the kid's blood, mm-hmm. and she had a level of 12, which is very bad. You're supposed to. Have, I mean, anything five and above is is dangerous. And so the health department went in after – because the doctors who test children are required by law to, t- to call the city health department if the number's f- five and above. So, and actually, they tell them every um, re- uh, result. So they call up the health department. The health department sends over some people with this little device called an XRF, and they go around the apartment and look for lead. This, they get a bunch of hits in this apartment. This is, girl was two years old. She'd never been anywhere. Right? She didn't have a grandmother. She, you know, she just was crawling around this apartment. And they get a, a, a bunch of hits. So what does NYCHA do? They immediately have their own test. And they say, nah, there's no lead there. They, did, they didn't do anything about it. And I wrote a story. And when I did it, uh, they sent out this notice to elected officials and to tenants in which they wrote this whole thing about the facts about lead. And they put it in writing, which was brilliant of them. And they said, like right to the top, we are in compliance with all federal, state, and local laws on lead paint inspection. At the time they sent this out, they knew they were not. So this was, in a way, the first one of the like the first sign that there was something wrong there. But nobody knew, and I I was just accused of being, you know, a tabloid reporter and so on. Um, but then after I wrote the story, I got a bunch of other calls from other parents with kids who had elevated levels of lead. So I wrote a bunch of other stories in June of 2016 in which I said more or less that the numbers are much more than they were saying. And they gave me these crazy numbers. The numbers kept moving from one place to another. Mm-hmm. How many kids that live in Niger have tested positive for uh, elevated bl- blood lead? Uh, well, uh, we think it's 18. Uh, maybe it's 202. And the numbers jumped all over the place. So I wrote that. Mm-hmm. They sent out another one of these things saying, we are in compliance. And again, by now, the mayor knew. He was told in probably April or May that they were not in compliance. Right after he had said that we're all over this problem, this is not a problem. This is the, one of the first times that de Blasio said there's nothing to see here. And suffice to say, ultimately, the feds come in. The feds, by the way, called me up, and I went in and talked to them a long, long time ago. And by the feds, you mean who? The U.S. attorney, Manhattan U.S. attorney. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was Preet Bharara, and now it's Jeffrey Berman. And I, just, they, I basically said to them, they were asking me, like, you're writing all these stories about these uh, terrible conditions in these apartments. But when we look at the documents, everything looks good. It looks great. What's 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 up with that? And I said, well, I mean, I don't, they won't give me these documents, so I don't I don't really know what the deal is with it. And they opened up their thing, and they just went at them about what they were writing on paper. What are they? They would like file a document. They would certify under oath that they were in compliance on lead paint inspections, and ultimately. 
the U.S. attorney figured out that, that this was a lie and that this was a lie that went on for multiple years, starting in the Bloomberg administration and continuing, continuing through 2016. Do you think this mayor and his administration are deliberately lying to the public about what's happening? Or I, do you think it's just mismanagement? I, well, I can say one thing about de Blasio. He specifically made a decision not to tell people. I mean, it's a sin of omission, perhaps, mm-hmm. when he was – he has a press conference in March of 2016 in which he says there's a vigorous effort to uh, deal with lead paint in public housing. There, this is not a problem and so on. Uh, about a month later, he is told, well, actually, we haven't been inspecting for lead paint as we are required and for, for three years. We haven't been – like 2012, we stopped doing it. So he could have at that point, about a month after his press conference, he could have come back and said – we want to tell you that, well, we want to set the record straight. We're really not in compliance on this issue. We're, we're, we're looking into it. We're going to get onto it. He didn't do that. He chose to just remain silent. And so they kept this um, off the radar screen until the, um, the DOI report, which was in November 2017. Prior to that, he said, thank God there have been no harm done to any child oh, yeah, that one. Uh, because of the mistakes that were made. Thank God uh, there has not been harm done uh, to any child because of the mistakes that were made. Back to Nigel into Queens for a minute. Like, what should Amazon be doing? De Blasio said this is going to be a huge boon to the people in Queensbridge. Amazon says there's going to be some sort of job fair. Uh, But it does seem like you have the uh, trillion-dollar corporation setting up shop next to the biggest public housing development in the Western Hemisphere, and the, the, the one has nothing to do with the other. You could even call it possibly a tale of two cities, I think. But um, is there anything Amazon should be, uh, can, can be doing or should be doing at this point, given that you know, the council and lawmakers at this, in the state were more or less cut out of this process? And, and in addition to that, should the repairs of the Queensbridge houses been bundled into the deal for Amazon? That's why we have Euler. 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 Universal. Universal. Land Land use. use. Review. Review. Process. It's the public review process. So Mm -hmm. um, under normal circumstances, a a development on the scale of Amazon would be subject to public review from the city council. And the local council member could leverage the power that he or she has over the public review process to force real concessions from, from a company like Amazon or from the administration to require more investments in workforce development at Queensbridge Houses or require more investments in repairs. But, but if the state is going to exempt Amazon from the public review process, then we're relying on nothing more than the goodwill of a trillion-dollar corporation. And forgive me for being skeptical that, that Amazon is going to be helpful to the residents of Queensbridge out of the kindness of its own heart. de Blasio and Cuomo, I mean... I think that there's some people who are upset, but I mean, this is egregious and outrageous for the mayor to essentially sell out his citizens in such a fantastic fashion. I would love to see the oversight committee of the city council go and say, we want to see every email between Amazon and their representatives and the mayor's office and Governor Cuomo and his minions and see what went on. What was what was the discussion? Who who offered this? Who offered that? Did how did the helicopter come up? You know things like that. I, there is a there is a way for people. I think the only way to to really truly understand like what 
this could potentially become is to understand how it got here in the first place. And I would love to see that stuff. I do not have subpoena power, unfortunately. Hmm. Richie, do you? <laughs> the council has subpoena power. And look, it's an issue on which the speaker and Councilman Van Bramer have been deeply engaged. And there's going to be more to come. Like, the, this is not the end of it as far as the city council is concerned. Share, share with Greg, please, as it comes up. Come back on and talk with us. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Of course. Happy to be here. F-A-Q. FAQ's new producer reporter, Gwen Hogan, took the five train all the way up to the Bronx to hang out with Daniel Barber, tenant organizer and NYCHA resident. Oh, that phone will ring all day. Hello, yes, my name is Daniel Barber, and I am the Tenant Association President at the Andrew Jackson Houses. Oh, I Daniel Barber, he's the leader of a citywide group of tenant association presidents representing some 400,000 public housing residents across the city. I'm calling, first of all, happy holidays to you and your family. God bless you. And Thank you. I hope you enjoy the new year brings prosperous situations and great things to you and your family. Thank you. Okay, I'm calling you because over the weekend, the male personnel left every male box open. Today, like every day, Daniel is putting out fires. Some figuratively, like the mailboxes. But this mailbox situation is like ongoing and frequent when our regular mail lady isn't there. Sometimes literally. It's not right just to set a fire because, oh, the mattress was there. And he grew up here in the Andrew Jackson houses in the Bronx. Daniel moved here when he was a kid after the tenements he lived in with his family around the corner got demolished by the city. And he remembers back then it was an upgrade. You never saw grass as beautiful and as green as Andrew Jackson. It was a village. That old cliche, it takes a village to raise a child, it was truly a village. Public housing is therefore in the best American tradition. Every dedication in the United States of a public low-rent housing project is a rededication of our democracy to the principle that all men are created equal, 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 equal. We had Mr. Samuels, older Jamaican man, that sat there and would tell you, Mr. Walker! The little boy of yours, him running around and him acting crazy. He told my parents, he was like, the little fat boy throw a rock and break my window. My mother said, it wasn't my son. He's uptown at my sister's house in the Lambert houses. And later on when I got older, I said, Ma, I got to come true on something. She said, what? I said, remember how Mr. Samuels used to tell you we broke all his windows? I said, well, we did, Mom. I apologize for lying as a kid. She says, no, baby, it's okay, because I already know y'all did it. She was like, it's just the way Mr. Samuels was coming at me. I just couldn't give him that one. Was she proud of the work you do with the residents here? Um, yeah, she loved it, and she made me do it. I said, no, I'm not doing that. She said, yes, you is. I said, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you is. And I said, Ma, I'm not doing that. She said, what I said, I said, I'm doing it. My mom was my best friend. My mom was everything to me. There was nothing that I couldn't tell her. NYCHA took that from me. 
Daniel says his mom developed a respiratory illness, was in and out of the hospital. He blames her illness on the black and gray mold growing like mushrooms through the wall of their bathroom. Daniel's mom died in 2013 at age 74. We have the same boilers that we have from 1961. Heat and hot water here sucks. Excuse the French. Stinks. Horrible. Trash. Garbage. He's leading a lawsuit against the city on behalf of NYCHA tenants in what he saw as the only hope to get the city to finally pay attention to their demands. What do you say has to happen? How do you, do you see a fix to this? Well, first of all, there need to be criminal prosecution because if it was another landlord, they would lose their property. I, I just want to see retribution for the residents. Beyond retribution, Daniel says tenants, too, need to step up and demand more of their local elected officials and vote out politicians who fail to live up to their promises. The people have to take the ownership and stand up. We have to let the Cuomos know that if they don't stick by what they say, then it's they have to deal with the people. The people have to stop accepting the status quo the way it's been for years. Nitra, you're a great entity. You've provided home for myself and thousands of others for years. But what isn't acceptable is how you allow things to go from being a rose in the garden to being a Thorn in a bush. Thorn in a bush. All right, take two. FAQ NYC is brought to you by a grant from Civil, the blockchain company looking to transform the economy of journalism. And we're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research. This week's episode was produced by Alex Brooklyn and Gwen Hogan and mixed and mastered by Adam Kamara. Rad. Uh, Rental Assistance Demonstration. HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority. ULERP, Universal Land Use Review Process. You live, you lerp. <laughs> HUD had an idea to make NYCHA rad. <laughs> news. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.